I think echidical mass is a brilliant way of just saying that like cycling is for regular people. It's even for people with kids. It doesn't have to be hard. It can just be fun. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative, and I'm truly honored to serve as your host each week on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Wednesday, the 23rd day of June, 2021. And in this week's episode, I'm excited to share this recent conversation I had with the amazing film producer, director, and editor, Liz Canning. As many of you may know, in 2019, Liz released the phenomenal documentary, Motherload, kid-tested, planet-approved, and it has been making the rounds ever since. We talk about her background, the origins of the story, and what she's up to now. Oh, and by the way, she was just nominated for an Emmy for her work as director, producer, writer, and editor on episode one of Global Mosaic, Could Empowering Girls Transform the World? But before we roll into those discussions, please allow me a moment to mention that this episode is once again being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. Now, if you too would like to contribute, please head over to my website at activetowns.org and navigate to the donation page. However, if money is tight right now and making a contribution is just not an option, no worries. You can still help out in a big way by spreading the word about Active Towns and this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and for whatever support you can send my way as I strive to grow this movement. One final reminder before we get started. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. This really does help with its visibility. Thanks. Okay, time to get this episode with Liz Canning up to speed. Liz, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thank you for having me, John. Well, hey, first of all, thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, active mobility and your journey that really kind of manifested in a an absolutely beautiful and quite moving documentary, Motherload. Um, but before we roll into all those details and talking a little bit about that, how about just a little about yourself and your background? And now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing that this is like a natural introduction to the film too, <laughs> because it's very much a part of your introduction. So let's let's just dive in. Uh, who are you and how did this come about? Hmm. So I grew up on the East Coast in a sort of preppy, waspy mm, suburb of New York City. And um, it really wasn't me. I really didn't identify with the culture at all. Even though I was sent to boarding school, I was expected to go Ivy League. It was not, it was not working for me. And at a certain point, I kind of dropped out of that whole scripted existence and eventually made my way to California. And as I sort of illustrate in the film, it was a big turning point to me, not only to discover the sort of liberal nature of, of California and particularly San Francisco, but 
the nature out here and to, to explore it on my bicycle was a really healing journey and still is. I still, every day I go out hiking in these woods with my dog, I feel really grateful to how balancing it is for me. Yeah. And I, I really, it resonates with me. I, I grew up not far from where you're at. Uh, and, you know, that connection with the outdoors is is so profound and, and so much a part of it. And, but your part of your story, I think also, you know, as you, you mentioned in the movie and, and, uh, and we should probably just dive in and talk a little bit more about that journey was on the bicycle and then how that relationship with the bicycle and, and becoming a mom, you know, sort of collided and, and changed and that, that journey that you went through. And, and this is a truly, truly powerful film and we'll, we'll dive into the details of it in just a little bit, but talk a little bit about that. Cause you had a love of, of the bike and then everything just kind of started happening then you, you know, had that epiphany and you married the two, being a mom and riding a bike. So I went into motherhood already really dependent on the bike for my sense of self, for my sense of freedom, for my level of comfort and confidence in my body. And, and motherhood, you know, changes your relationship to your body. All of a sudden, it's not really yours and you don't get to sleep when you want to sleep and you don't get to exercise when you want to exercise. And, um, so for me, it was a story of losing the bicycle and recognizing how very, very important it was to me. And then having the problem to solve of like, how am I going to get this back? And, um, luckily my husband knows me really well. And so he, a lot of a lot of uh, men, when I showed him, like I had done some research and I found this like handmade, beautiful box seats from Portland, and it was particularly designed to be light and supposedly good at going uphill, which we live on top of a very steep hill. And um, it was really expensive. And I showed it to him and he said, let's do it. And so <laughs> we sold the setup that I had been trying to make do with, which was like a, a cycle cross bike connected to a trailer that my children hated that I could barely get up the hill. We sold that and we bought this uh, really cool box feats and it blew my mind from the get go. But what really blew my mind was when I put the motor on it and suddenly there was no stopping me. There was no stopping me from picking up groceries on the way home. There was no stopping a lot of people. And I realized that this made the whole idea way more accessible. Like it wasn't just for weirdos like me, you know, anybody could really do this with their kids and, and with their groceries and replace a car. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and uh, we'll get to, we'll get to that part of, of that. It wasn't just for, for, you know, the weirdos like you <laughs> and, and, and to be clear, I mean, when you say you, but the bike was a part of your life, you, you were a racer, correct? Yeah. And in fact, I loved riding and training more than I liked racing. Like I just loved to ride. And so I sort of fell into racing because it was a great excuse to ride like a ton. <laughs> Um, right, right. But like I missed the commute to San Francisco, just the opportunity to ride my bike over the Golden Gate Bridge, maybe twice a day and to arrive at work, like all pumped and and uh, having seen all these beautiful sights. 
Yeah. So when you say it was a part of your identity, you meant it was really a part of your identity, riding a bike. It wasn't. And to be honest, I was really self-medicating. I mean, and I think most people that ride a ton probably are, that it's, it's a huge mood booster. I mean, it changes your perspective on everything. And I really needed those endorphins. Well, and, and I would even argue as an exercise physiologist that we all need that. Humans were designed to, to be active, and this modern world that we are in is very much a construct that uh, our human body has, has not been able to evolve and adapt to. And, and we know this because, you know, inactivity is the, you know, primary risk factor that is across all chronic disease states that, that we have that are, are, are big uh, sources of uh, mortality and morbidity. So, I mean, yeah, we, we are meant to be active and moving. So you said something there, though, that was really, really uh, profound, and that was about the kids not digging the trailer, but loving being in front in the Bachvitz. Talk a little bit about that. What do you think was happening there? Um, <laughs> I think that the trailer felt confining. They couldn't see, you know, they were looking at my butt, basically, Whereas in, in, in the front of the bike, they were like my co-pilots, you know, and, and we used to treat, um, we called the cargo bike Lucy Mopsy, uh, named after their two favorite dogs, and they were fans of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And we sort of had this thing where we believed that Lucy Mopsy had like her own sense of where to go, and she would always find the way. We might get a little bit lost and have an adventure, but she would bring us home. And um, yeah, it was really like magical. Yeah, yeah. That is just so cool and powerful because it really does remind me of, you know, when we look at the the Dutch and the Danes and we see how the kids, uh, you know, are able to experience with their parents being on the bike with them, they're almost always either in front, like in a front-loaded cargo bike type of situation, or uh, the the Dutch especially love putting like a, a small little saddle, you know, up, you know, in front of them so that they, they're, they're right there in front by the handlebars looking out. They're able to have that conversation. And it really just opens up the world for the kids because, like you said, they're like co-pilots. Yeah, I, I always advise, and it was tough because I was, I'm a fan of ExtraCycle as a company, but as a parent of two small kids, I really love having them in the front. And, 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 and eventually we got a long tail because at a certain age, it made more sense for them to be in the back, like not in a box, you know, they were too big. But um, when they're really little, you can't beat the box or the handlebars. <laughs> And it just occurs to me that uh, I, I I didn't wish you a belated Happy Mother's Day because we're oh. recording this just a couple days after uh, Mother's Day, and you know the the kids are very much a part of of the documentary because it's part of your journey, and one of the very last scenes. Uh, in the movie ties into a a theme that I talk about a lot here on the podcast and with the Active Towns Initiative, we talk a lot about the key tenant of trying to create safe and inviting all ages and abilities communities so that children can actually experience and explore their worlds. Talk a little bit about that because that was like a a whole nother phase. Now that's been a, a couple of years past How's it yeah. going, Mom? 
Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, uh, so in the film, at the end of the film, you see the kids right off on their own. And that was like a, such a, a relief to me in a way that my kids, you know, could get to school on their own. I, on the other hand, I really miss the feeling of like being this three headed animal, you know, and, and, it, and going everywhere, having them on my bike was so fun. At this point, let's see, they're, they're 13 and a half. They're, my son is like five, seven and a half and my daughter's five, six. So they're suddenly giant and Rocco is now going to like, he's been encouraged to take the high school race prep mountain bike camp this summer because he's so fast and strong and he just loves to ride and he will ride anywhere on his own. Perfectly happy. Stormy resisted like for a long time. It was really hard. And I had to say things like, look, we live in a place where it's safe for you to ride to school. And this is a family value. And you're going to go. And we get some stomping and crying sometimes. And I think some parents, and I did occasionally cave as far as riding back up the hill. She would call me from the bottom of the hill some, on some days and say, Mom, I am so tired. I have a huge backpack. I'm not riding up the hill. And occasionally I would go pick her up. But now that she's had this growth spurt, she doesn't even mention it. Like, so I think we just had to get through a year or two of her not, her body to weight ratio being a little bit challenging. And now she's just, it's just part, it's just like, we have a hundred steps to the front door of our house, you know? And it, at times that was a challenge. And now it's just part of our life. It's just what we do. So, you know, I think parents need to remember that, um, it's like my pediatrician said, and I love this. It's so incredibly true. What's easy becomes hard and what's hard becomes easy. Like you cave in, you're going to regret it. <laughs> you know, it's easy in that moment to say, it's okay. I'll just drive you to school or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, you know, goes to what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, movement was very much a part of our DNA and, and we, we can do that and, and we can adapt, you know, we can get to the, get, get to that level. So for Stormy, um, so for her, the, uh, does she have any friends that, that ride with her? You know, there are a fair number of kids that ride to school in our town. She, I'm sure ends up riding with them just sort of by default because there's sort of one run road that goes to the middle school. Um, but she doesn't meet, you know, we, it's basically the hill. It's basically <laughs> getting back up the hill and, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and also this past year they were at home for school for almost the whole the whole year, really. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the the f things that I've noticed uh, over the years um I've been <laughs> been really actively uh looking at this sort of uh the the world of the built environment and how it encourages healthy active living. Uh, for the past uh, 12 to 15 years prior to that, I was uh, doing uh, disease prevention and health promotion programming on corporate campuses. And so I've always sort of been in this world of health promotion and disease prevention. But uh, one of the things that I've noticed, especially in the last decade, is diving into and seeing that difference, especially with girls. They, they may ride their bikes through elementary school and into middle school, and then it, begets, it, it starts dropping off dramatically in the high school. And sometimes there's a lot of correlation with 
do they have friends that are also doing it? And if they have friends that are also doing it, then then it's st- suddenly still okay. It doesn't become quote unquote uncool. Yeah, I the thing is, Stormy really likes boys. So she, I guess her friends are her her brother's friends so far. So yeah, she does ride to school often with with Atesh, which is you know, Rocco's Rocco's friend, and. I think she she's already running up against like she'll come home and she'll say, Mom, you know, like 90 percent of the girls at school are wearing makeup and crop tops and all this stuff that she's just not interested in at all so far. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure the journeys uh, are, are going to continue. <laughs> so Yeah. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about the film in the sense that, uh, so it's been out there how long now? Uh, it premiered in May of 2019. Okay. So 2019. And I, my impressions of it, I've seen it about four times thus far. Wow. And my impressions of it are this, is that A, it's, so incredibly well done. It's so moving. And every time I watch it, I pick up something new. There's like another little, little subtlety, a little niggle in here. Uh, It's, there's a lot packed into it. There's many, many different dimensions to it, but I've had the opportunity to see it in several different settings and one of the greatest joys that I get is to watch other people and see how they respond to it. Talk a little bit about what it's been like for you as a filmmaker to see how it's been received. Um, yeah, this past year, I've really missed sitting in an audience. We've, there's been a lot of virtual events, which is great. And there's been a lot of virtual uh, post-film discussions um, with panelists from all over the world. And that's been great. But the it's really a film that should be watched, you know, surrounded by your community and hopefully a film that you leave going, Oh, Hey, you know, what can we do to change, you know, the amount of cycling that's in, happening in our town right now? Or what can I do to just get out in nature more? And what can I do to be more interactive with my neighbors and all that stuff? So for me, it's been really exciting that people appreciate the storytelling and the editing and all that stuff that took me so long and was so challenging. On the other hand, that I mean, the film has been embraced and continues to be embraced by the bicycle world. And it's going to show it at Velo City in September, which is really exciting, the big European bike conference. But the film world didn't take the film as seriously as I wished partly because that would really help me as a filmmaker, help me, you know, get my next film funded, help me get work between now and then and that kind of thing. So I, and I have to guess that part of that is, and you're, I'm sure you're very familiar with this sort of anti-bike bias or this tendency to go like, that's just for bike people. We're not going to make it part of our festival because it's for weird bike people. And so I'm frustrated because I was determined to make a film that was not just preached to the choir, you know, and, um, would transcend the 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 bike community and go out and you know speak to bike curious yeah yeah which is really when you think of it because i'm i'm reflecting back on the different themes that you had in the film and i think it really does do a disservice to uh to the documentary because it covers so many incredibly important themes and honestly, it's 
really not about the bike. It's, you know, that was like, it's sort of manifested as being part of the, the tool. It was just, I mean, but the themes that you, you had in there, uh, both the challenging as well as the empowering themes that are, that are there are, you know, they're bigger than the bike. And so it is unfortunate that it, it, it's not being embraced by the filmmaking world and I'll call them out right here now. Hey. Guys, seriously, I mean, well, it, it was a challenge to make too. You, you mentioned this because this is this is very much a part of your journey. How many years did did this span? Well, uh, I began crowdsourcing and cut the first trailer in like uh, 2011. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I had really small twins at the time, and I did do other things <laughs> during those like seven to eight years, but it was. Uh, and I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn about uh, creating a 90 minute, you know, narrative arc that will sustain people, you know, sustain interest over 90 minutes. That's a, that's a whole different beast in terms of editing from what I had done previously. It's a shorter form stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the fact that it, it is resonating, at least within the bicycle advocacy world. And you mentioned uh, Velo City. Where is Velo City this year? This year it's in Lisbon, Portugal. Very cool. Yeah. And that's one of the things yeah. that I do love about this film, too, is that it, it is gaining traction all around the world. How cool is that? It is. It's very cool. And I think it's, it's going to have a, a life um, as an educational tool. You know, we're, we just launched educational distribution. We've had a few. The Yale School of the Environment did a big screening of like, I don't know, two to 300 people saw the film. And, um, and I've only just really begun to, to reach out to universities. And uh, I think it's a, a great film for students. Well, that's, that's a really, really good point. And, and I think that it may not have ever been your 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 intent necessarily, but the fact that it is more than a movie, it's a movement. Speak to that a little bit, yeah. You know, soon after I discovered the cargo bike and, and, and saw that people were discussing it online and people were so excited about it, it seemed to me that those people that were posting video of, you know, they just got a Yuba and they've got their kids on and they're going for a ride, like that that was a form of activism. You know, that's a form of saying like, I made a choice that I, I believe is, is, a, is a great one and it, it makes us so happy and I want to share it with the world. And so that was part of the concept for the film is like, how can we, you know, elevate that? How can we take all those stories and combine them and create something that could maybe reach even more people and celebrate this act of like, of sharing this lifestyle choice um, and, and educating others about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hopeful or I'm hopeful and, and that since it is gaining some traction in the education world, maybe, maybe this is an opportunity where we're starting to get more attention and more traction with uh, younger generations. I, I hope that's true. And I hope I'm about to cut a new trailer that is particularly going to position the film as a tool for conversations about how we can build back better right? Build back better with bicycles and, and all the movement around slow streets and pop-up infrastructure and all that. So I think that, yeah, I hope that there have been lessons learned in this year of the pandemic that can be sort of 
that the film could be part of that that conversation. How are we going to use these lessons as we move forward? And you know, so many people in this past year were reconnecting to nature because they slowed down and because they were at home and and because the required the mental health aspect of the pandemic meant they needed it. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a really good point. Is that uh, this past year um, has everything changed. I mean, we, you know, we're in the midst of a devastating pandemic and it required us as a nation around the world uh, to, you know, (laughs) approach life in a completely different way. And part of that was exactly what you're saying is we, we reconnected with our streets, especially the streets nearby to us. We reconnected with nature. If we had access, easy access to nature, whether it be a park or a trail or wilderness, building back better. And, you know, and and I reflect back to a, a couple of the screenings that I was able to attend both in person and also virtually. And then some of those, that dialogue, some of those discussions that were happening and the fact that it was motivating so many parents to reconsider and think about this as, oh, A, that looks kind of fun. It looks empowering. The kids are digging it. Fresh air. And it just kind of like builds into what what I've been seeing out the door is that, you know, more and more families are getting outdoors and spending time together riding or walking or exploring. So it it does seem like it's it's all interconnected there. Yeah. And I hope that um, as as we open back up, you know, it's already starting. And unfortunately, this is bike month. And so there, a bunch of screenings are happening, and some of them are in person. And usually, an in-person screening of of motherload, you know, involves some sort of uh, bike riding, like a group bike, a group ride to the event, or a demo of cargo bikes, or a critical mass type event, or something. You know, um, it's a great opportunity to have a sort of celebratory get together in your in your town. Yeah. Now you sent out a request for for content to within your little movement, you know, during the pandemic. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you had reflected back to you, and what was that call to action all about? I think when you know when the motherload screening tour was abruptly sort of shut down, I was looking for a way to put a positive spin on, you know, what was going on. And, and the silver lining, no doubt was the, the bikes were, you know, bike shops everywhere were sold out. Everybody was getting on bikes and towns everywhere were creating space for them. And so I, I wanted to see if people were documenting this or if they would, and you know, what kind of stories could be told around it. Um, I haven't yet produced anything most of the stuff had a very like calm, peaceful quality to it. You know, mostly it was, this is my moment of Zen, you know, getting out on my bike. And, and then some people just captured the pop-up infrastructure because they were so excited about it. Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting and, and, and I've talked about it quite a bit over the past 12 months is that, 
you know, our relationship to the streets did change and to the outdoors did change quite a bit. Uh, and, and suddenly that became the place where we needed to escape to for our, our mental health and our well-being and being able to get some fresh air in. And, uh, and so very, very hopeful that this bodes well to what you were talking about in terms of building back better and stronger and more resilient and starting to appreciate, I think, some of the, those bigger themes that, that are also sort of embedded into this in terms of health and well-being, the health of the planet, all of these different things. So anyways, that's good stuff. So that was what you had, had put out there into the world and, and, and you've got some stuff back and, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what that comes together as if it comes together as a, a, another big opus or, or a little one or whatever. But what other new, new exciting projects are you working on? Well, the big push lately has actually been on sort of re-entering the, the freelance pool and offering my services as not just an editor, as, which is what I was doing before I had kids, but as a director, producer, shooter, animator. So that's the main thing is, you know, unfortunately, independent filmmaking is not super lucrative. So uh, I've been trying to make some money. You know, I have... Um, some big ambitious ideas for a new project, which frightens me a little bit because now I have like serious experience, you know, knowing how hard such a project can be. And, and part of it is raising the money. I mean, wow. The, the Kickstarter campaign for, for what was then less car more go and became motherload was amazing. And, and such a great example of what a community can do but it was also a ton of work. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, as a family, we're still sort of surviving this past year. You know, it was hard on a number of levels. So I, I'd like to get going on a new project. I really would. Yeah, yeah. So you said animator too. I didn't know that about you. Well, if you can call what I do animation. I mean, it's a very particular vein of animation. I did all the visuals in Motherload. I mean, that's a good example, the stuff I did in there, you know? Yeah. Fantastic. That's, that's great. So when you reflect back on, on this time, what were some of the things that surprised you the most about this experience? Um, well, one thing I was thinking of when you were talking before about, our DNA and our need for to use our bodies. I think I went into this sort of wanting to understand, like I thought of myself as very odd because uh, I would always look at people who, who, who weren't active and wonder how strange that must be. Like, how can you, I just feel so discombobulated and odd. And I, I don't know what the word is, but I can't really manage when I don't use my bodies. And I've always thought if I get sick or if I break a limb or I mean, what am I going to do anyway? So the discovery that in fact, um, it, I'm just responding to my genetic makeup. Like that's what we're sort of meant to do. We're meant to use our bodies. And, and that made sense to me. And, and I feel like all the, parents some of whom like I really tried in the film to highlight parents who were not cyclists going into parenthood and going into the cargo bike and and I feel like they all became really hardcore advocates because this experience 
and often you really need an experience like that in, in when you have small kids, something that relieves stress and makes the like monotonous labor of parenthood fun. And, you know, so it was all very validating of my own need for that kind of, you know, being outside and moving my body. So that was a great surprise. That's awesome. Well, and what's interesting is that, yes, we're designed to move. It's without a doubt. But we also are, we have a genetic predisposition, if you wish to call it a lazy gene, which is also very much a part of who we are and how we evolved. We, we, we can accomplish amazing things from a physical exertion perspective. And when we are living an active, healthy lifestyle, we gain all the benefits of that. But we also ha- are very much hardwired to, to take the easy way to be lazy and to conserve energy. And, and that was very much a part of our a survival as a species as well, is that <laughs> when we had the opportunity to rest underneath that shade tree and there weren't predators around, we did so, <laughs> you know? And, you know, it's, it's this really interesting challenge that we have as a, as a species. I mean, we will gorge ourselves on the fresh fruit that that you know <laughs> is around the corner as we're hiking through and trying to get to from one destination to the next and oh ripe blackberries <laughs> you know we we know we we get that hit from the sugar and you get the reinforcement and you know and and so we've got a lot of challenges you know that are hardwired and coded into who we are yes we're designed to move and we can do extraordinary things but we do have that uh, that side of us that, you know, will gorge on calories if they're available and we will relax and be lazy if given that opportunity. And you addressed it earlier with, with your daughter of, you know, reinforcing that sort of expectation, that behavior of, you know, yeah, this is what we do. We're going to, we're going to get up this hill. And then when it becomes habit and, you know, you were able to, to, to hopefully continue to reinforce the, you know, those endorphins and, and, and the, the positive brain chemistry that's happening that reinforces that, Hey, this is good for us. And we're getting that reinforcement at the biological level, at the science, you know, at, at the brain chemistry level. So it's all good stuff, but yeah, we have to work through a lot of resistance. So have you studied a lot of like evolutionary biology? Quite a bit. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, can I ask you about a, a a question? Yeah, absolutely. So you know how I don't know, maybe you don't know that scientists have never really landed on a, a a one explanation for the fact that human females are one of only I don't know like five species on Earth that that go through menopause and have a have a substantial post reproductive life, right? Like half of our lives or something we can. And there's one hypothesis that I think is the most popular. That's the grandmother hypothesis. The idea being that we succeeded as a species because non-reproductive women were around to help us with childcare, basically, and probably foraging and stuff too. But yeah, have you anything about that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly not my my area of expertise. But what you're referring to is, you know, very much, you know, kind of points back to the tribal aspect of of how we existed especially in the the hunter gatherer phase is that after childbearing 
there's still a great deal of value that you know we're able to uh, you know to provide that grandmother effect and the great grandmother effect and the wisdom that's there, but it's also the support to, that can be able to provide most likely was very much a part of that secret sauce of allowing our species to continue to thrive and survive and then thrive. Fascinating work that that is has been out there. Obviously, stuff that Jared Diamond has written about uh, and and talking uh, you know about these types of uh, issues. Daniel Lieberman is one of my go-to authors when it really comes to evolutionary biology out of Harvard. One of the great things that that I like to quote from him is, you know, hey, we didn't when it comes to you know because people put press him and say, well, how much is the right amount of exercise and what should we be eating and it's like. Uh, that's not kind of how evolution works. You know, we basically survived as a species because we were able to survive long enough to be able to continue the species and keep it going. And to your point, you know, that, that secret sauce of also being able to have elders be able to still be able to contribute to the tribe, to be able to help, you know, free up others to be able to do other things is part of the success story. Yeah. I, I just am fascinated by that and the fact that, uh, you know, orcas are one of the only other species that has uh, postmenopausal females, you know, around and they become the leaders of their pod. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we are an incredibly social species. And even for those of us that, you know, may not like to be, I'm an extrovert, but my partner Laura is not. <laughs> you know, she would just be fine. But even even you know, in that type of situation, it's incredibly important to have interactions, even if they're just sort of casual interactions. And so that brings us right back around to the magic of the bicycle, because the bicycle then starts giving us opportunities to interact with other people around us and even if it's just a glance or a wave or a head nod or any of this the the sociability that is there how do we re-socialize our environment so that it becomes fulfilling and you know helps generate more social trust and cohesion and all of this kind of got cocooned and cut off, and you talk about it in your film, when we go into our hermetically sealed, you know, two-ton metal and glass, and then, you know, transport ourselves magically at superhuman speeds into another environment where we go into a closed environment. And so getting back out there as humans in our natural environment, in the outdoors, in the community in nature and then being able to have these micro interactions with people reinforces that whole negotiation and that whole dance that is so very much a part of our DNA. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so it's I mean it's fascinating stuff and that's it gets me really excited too to see when I talk about creating a culture of activity and how active towns are these thriving places. This is a big part of it. It's about that, the social interaction, it's about you know very, very subtle types of things as, as well as that opportunity to interact with a friend. When you do happen to see a friend, you know, it's like, oh, hey, 
yeah. you know, when you're on a bike or if you're on a, if you're walking, you know, it's so much easier than when you're in a car. I've had so many experiences over this past year that reinforced all of what you're saying. I mean, there were definitely moments where I was flashing back to when my kids were little, cause we, we just were so much at home. My husband, maybe because he lost a, a colleague to COVID early on in the, in the pandemic, he was really strict about like, we're not going, we're not doing anything for, you know, and the kids were doing virtual school and we, we built a home office and we're both at home. And, and, and so we'd go for weeks without seeing people. And I remember one day, uh, not too long ago, this was just a, a perfect example of it. I decided to walk into town with the dog to go to the post office. And I had like three or four, just really mundane, but lovely interactions with people. And it completely changed my mood. And the walk it was beautiful. And the dog is beautiful. But yeah, it can, a year like this can get you really down. And I think a lot of what I needed was just to be out and, and be interacting. Yeah. Those interactions that you, like you said, you don't even think about as being of value or import at all. Yeah. When you brought up a couple of good points is, is that you get out there. So you've, you're, you're getting the benefit of the walk. So you're getting the benefit of that physical activity. You're getting the benefit of getting outdoors. And so you're getting some vitamin D in you're you've got some nature around you and you had a dog with you. <laughs> you also are that much more, you know, approachable to other people. It's like, it, it makes those interactions that much easier. Yeah. And, and people are just like, Oh, Hey, or smiles. Well, and I think too, um, and I sort of touched on this in the film, I think that when I go out with the dog, my experience of nature is heightened because he's so excited to be out. I mean, he, you know, is going to sniff everything and just run because it feels good. And he just reminds me, you know, of how, of how much pleasure I can take in it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think you've mentioned that too, a couple of times in social media, You'll, 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 you'll put a photo out there with you and your dog out on the trail and you'll, you'll make a comment on that. And it's just, it's so incredibly powerful and it's so important to reinforce that, especially during these challenging times. Uh, what's the best way for folks to follow along with you and your work and learn more about hiring you? Ah, so um, to find out about the film or to, to, uh, buy a DVD or rent the film or arrange a screening. All that is at motherloadmovie.com. My film production company, Motherload Films, now has a website that's motherload-films.com. The Facebook group is Motherload. Uh, and I have Motherload Movie on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. That's great. My final question for you, and it's my final question that I pose to every guest, is... For those people who have been inspired by our discussions, I mean, obviously, if they haven't seen it yet, they're going to go out and, and watch the movie. But other than that, if they're inspired to make a difference in their communities, what advice would you have for them? You know, especially as a mom and as a parent and, and somebody who has sort of unknowingly thrust yourself into, into the position of advocacy for safer, healthier communities. Well, I mean... Anybody who's in bike advocacy is very familiar with the idea, the catch-22 idea of, you know, if we don't have infrastructure, we won't have more people on the road riding bikes. If we don't have more people on the road riding bikes, we won't have more infrastructure. Well, I, I um, in making the film, I had to decide 
what I was going to emphasize, and I didn't really, I wasn't fired up about making a film about infrastructure, so I thought I would just talk about the joy. And so I'm a firm believer in just spreading the joy, and that could be just keep riding. Just keep riding your bike and, and telling people how happy it makes you, and do it in flip-flops and a skirt and overalls and, you know, let people know that you really feel safe on your bike. And a great way to do that is to put kids on your bike. And if you're really fired up and you're already doing it, then the other thing that I'm talking about a lot in the film is a critical mass. I think a critical mass is a brilliant way of just saying that like cycling is for regular people. It's even for people with kids. It doesn't have to be hard. It can just be fun. And you can find out more about critical mass by watching the film. Yay. Cool. Well, I was going to have you define a critical, critical mass, but I like the teaser of you're going to have to watch the film. <laughs> it's kind of like Shane, like Shane, who's actually the founder, Shane McRoads. He said it's like critical mass grows up and has kids and becomes maybe somewhat more mature. Yeah. Would you like to dis- de- uh, define critical mass for those listeners that may not know what we're talking about? Oh, sure. So critical mass is a, was a bike advocacy movement that came from a concept that was discussed in a, a film made by Ted White that came from the watching in China, the way that cyclists dealt with an intersection. They would wait, the, the bike would approach the, the intersection where all, there were all these cars and it would be very dangerous to cross but not if they reached critical mass. So they would wait until there was a big group of cyclists, they would all go together, and then they felt safe. And so uh, critical mass started, I think, in what, Portland or San Francisco? I think it's San Francisco. Yeah. I think it might be San Francisco. I, I might be wrong on my history. I should yeah. really know that. But anyway, yeah. so they developed a, every Friday, you know, for first or second Friday of the month, and a lot of cyclists, and they would often block traffic, and they would often get in trouble with the cops. Hence, critical mass is a friendly ride. Critical mass, they obey the rules, they eat snacks, but it's a very visible, mainstreaming event. Yeah. And I love, I love the, the description that you had for getting out there and riding in normal clothes, mainstreaming things. It's like being approachable. I was like you, you know, years ago, you know, decked out in Lycra on my racing bike, in my helmet, with my glass shields on. I didn't look approachable. I look completely different now because whenever I ride, I'm on my Dutch style upright bike, no helmet, heading down to the grocery store, back and forth several times per week and smiling and talking with my neighbors and everybody else. And and uh, it's that approachableness. It's mainstreaming it. It's making it, you know, communicating something that we're not others. We're just people who happen to be on a bike going about our day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a place for both. I still wear Lycra and I'm very polite and obey all the traffic rules when I'm wearing Lycra. Um, and there's a lot I have to say that are not that way, but I think when you're wearing Lycra, you should remember that you're still representing the bike community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Liz, it has been such a pleasure catching up with you here today. Congratulations on the continued success of Motherlode and on your new ventures. And thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Thank you for having me, Dylan. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 80 of the Active Towns podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this conversation with Liz Canning, and I hope you'll watch her fabulous documentary, Motherload, as well as her Emmy-nominated episode of The Global Mosaic, Could Empowering Girls Transform the World? We're incredibly lucky to have talented storytellers such as Liz producing content on these important issues. So if you have a project that could use her talents, remember, she's ready to get to work. I've included all the necessary links in the show notes and out on the landing page for this episode on the activetowns.org website. And now just a quick word about the Walk Bike Places conference this past week in Indianapolis. I'd like to send a huge thank you out to everyone at Project for Public Spaces, especially Juliet Kahn, Director of Events, all the local host committee folks and mobile workshop tour guides, and the sponsors, including People for Bikes, for making this special gathering possible. Personally, my biggest takeaway from this visit to Indy is that the cultural trail just keeps getting better as the vegetation matures, the network expands, and the new city facilities continue to add connectivity. Also, a thankful shout out to our friend, the American Feetzer, Brandon Lust. On Friday, I jumped on my Brompton and rode up to Carmel for a visit, and Brandon showed me around his amazing new hometown. The city did a fantastic job of creating a vibrant new downtown with the Monon Trail, the key feature of the space, and truth be told, made it a place where people want to be. If you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook, you probably saw some of the beautiful photos I posted from both the Indie Cultural Trail and from my visit to Carmel. I did shoot some videos, so be on the lookout for some short profile films of this experience in the near future. Well, it's that time again, folks. Here's my parting fundraiser plug. If you've enjoyed this episode and appreciate my efforts to profile the encouraging initiatives happening around the globe to promote active living and active mobility, please help me out by making a tax-deductible contribution to Active Towns. Each and every donation is truly appreciated and really does make a huge difference in allowing me the ability to continue producing this content and growing the culture of activity movement. Doing so is easy. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to activetowns.org and click on the donate page. Thank you so very much. Well, that's all for this week's episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.